None of it made sense. Like, this guy's saying he's going to build a wall from California to, like, El Paso, Texas. Like, dude, I've done that drive. That's like a two-day drive, 85 miles an hour. Like, ah! like you, you're going to build a wall. You're really going to do this. Like, how much is this going to cost? How many times are you going to go to Home Depot? Like, how big is this thing going to be? Look how long it took to, to build the Freedom Tower, and we wanted that. That took 15 years. Dude, by the time they build that thing, we're going to be the ones going over it. <laughs> so, the reason that I wanted to play that clip uh, was because during this election, well, in 2016, was when I really obviously started to pay attention to stuff as I'm sure most of the people my age did since it was the first time we would ever actually vote in an election rather than just, you know, hear shit regurgitated from our parents and our coworkers and our family members at holiday parties and all that shit. Um, and I noticed that there was a lot of comedians that, had really good takes on all this stuff. And the clip that I played with Bill Burr talking on uh, Conan's show about Hillary and Trump and the wall and all that shit, it just kind of made me realize um, where I am in this book right now. I'm, I'm already at chapter 10. Um, there, there's, there's a lot of... <laughs> Uh, comparisons here to some of the stuff that I read. Um, and it's just like, h- how could you predict, or I mean, even as a joke, and it's really not because, I mean, a lot of people aren't really liking it here right now. Um, how could you even guess that saying that in four years we're going to be the ones wanting to go over the wall, which isn't even done yet? Um I don't think he's done anything that he said he was going to do in his first hundred days. But anyways, yeah, he's still got six months. We'll see. Um, I just think that's funny. Um, but let, let me, uh, let me just thumb over to chapter seven here. Um, and like I said, I'm on chapter 10 right now, but, uh, I just sat down here and was flying through these pages because um, I just want to get this thing done. I got gifted some new books that I want to dive into, but I keep a pile of whatever I'm reading on my desk. And I already have two sitting here, which is actually more like... um, More like three or four. But uh, I actually don't think... I think I already recorded Chapter 7, people. Nope, Chapter 6. Let me just flip a little more. Can you tell that I prepared for this one? Um, Okay, Chapter 7, Parallel Lines. And I'm doing this new thing now where when I I, uh, record... Instead of sitting at my desk with the microphone in my face, I'm actually sitting. Um, well, not I'm not sitting at all. I'm I'm standing at my desk uh, with a with a different mic in my hand, 
um, like a performing mic. I don't know why. It just seems a lot more comfortable um, and a little more natural. I don't like sitting. I'm fidgety. I, I tap my feet and, yeah, kick my leg all the time. So, anyways, chapter seven, parallel lines. Um, in chapter seven and eight, there's not really much that I that that stood out that I highlighted. Um, Mary's dad dies in, I believe it's chapter eight. Um, but you know, there's there's some stuff in here that I I read that was like, hmm, it's kind of interesting. Um, a lot of highlights of her her grandfather and everything, um, which, as we know, if you've been listening since I started doing this, um, he's pretty relevant to the whole story here. And now that I look at the clock, I'm probably going to have to pause this while I'm recording um, just to answer a phone call. Uh, chapter 7, Parallel Lines. Uh, by 1971, my dad had been working for my grandfather with the exception of his 10 months as a pilot for 11 years. Nonetheless, Fred promoted Donald, then only 24, to the position of president of Trump management. He'd been on the job for only three years and had very little experience and even fewer qualifications, but Fred didn't seem to mind. Uh, fast forward, fast forward. Uh, at a, as a business move, promoting Donald was pointless. What exactly was he being promoted to do? My grandfather had no development projects. The political power structure he'd depended on for decades was unraveling. And New York City was in dire financial straits. The main purpose of the promotion was to punish and shame Freddie. Of course. Um, Freddie left the business to be a pilot. Um, and his brothers would come and give him shit when they would visit. Um, disgrace to the family. Bus driver in the sky all that shit, um, and his depression, his anxiety, his stress that he was getting from his brothers, from his dad, uh, made him start drinking. Um, I think she said something like he would smoke like a pack or two packs a day too, which, not good. Uh, compile that on with drinking, not good. Uh, besides being driven around Manhattan by a chauffeur whose salary his father's company paid, in a Cadillac his father's company leased to scope out properties, Donald's job description seems to have included lying about his accomplishments and allegedly refusing to rent apartments to black people, which would become the subject of a Justice Department lawsuit accusing my grandfather and Donald of discrimination. Um, no context around that one. Uh, like I said, there's not much going on here. It's just, I just highlighted some stuff that stood out. Um, let's see here. Um, Jesus Christ, this, this episode's weak. Um, her dad was sick. Um, Kind of started to realize on his own that he was having a problem with his drinking. Um, issues with addiction. Despite treatment programs such as AA, which had been around since 1935, the stigma attached to addicts and addiction persisted. It kind of seems like it still does today. Um, I don't know. Addiction's like a chemical thing. 
Um, I would imagine it's not easy to curb, depending on whatever it is. But in this case of alcohol addiction, um, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, instead of asking, what can I do for you? Fred asked to Freddie, what do you want from me? Which is always a line that good parents use. Instead of saying, how could I help you, son? I know you're having all these issues. You need me. You need my help. You need some guidance. But what do you want from me? Hmm. Uh, he appeared to have no vulnerabilities at all and therefore couldn't recognize or sanction them in other people. So, their dad couldn't even realize that his son was having issues because in his mind, he never had any issues. He didn't have any weaknesses. So if he doesn't have any, why should other people have any? Because it's all about him. So if it's not a problem that he has, then other people can't have it, right? Unless they're poor or a different race or work a different job that he doesn't approve of. Um, flip, flip. Oh, this one was funny. This one actually kind of reminded me of me. And not in like a bad way, but kind of like a humorous way. Um, even with little kids, Donald had to be the winner. The paragraph here is, when Donald was at the house, he mostly threw a baseball or football around. He had played baseball at New York Military Academy and was even less likely to pull his punches than Rob. He saw no reason to throw the ball any more gently just because his niece and nephews were 6 or 9 or 11. When I did manage to catch the ball, he threw at me. The report of it against my leather glove reverberated off the brick retaining wall like a shot. Even with little kids, Donald had to be the winner. Um, in my old neighborhood, there was a basketball court. And whenever I was out there, these little kids would always come out. I wouldn't say little, but younger. I think a little kid would be like five or six. But these kids were like 10, 11, 12. <clears throat> and their vocabulary was more expansive than mine, if you know what I mean. And uh, they always wanted to play a game of basketball. And not just like horse or pig or whatever, but like a real like basketball game. Like if you know what 21 is, they oh, let's play 21. Um, and this hoop, I'm six foot three. And the hoop was not, regulation it was nine and a half feet roughly maybe maybe just over nine feet um and they would like get mad at me if i would like let them win so i would just like okay i'll just i guess walk away with the game and there would be me at six foot three on a nine foot rim uh, dunking a basketball in a game against like 12 year olds. <laughs> Honestly, and I, I've joked about this with my wife many times when we have kids, it's probably something that I'm still going to do. In my head, I'm like, yes, you need to like let kids win when they're young to kind of like let them know, like, yeah, win winning is possible. Winning is a thing, and you get this good feeling about it. But you can't just feel good about winning. Like, you have to. You have to earn it at some point, you know? Um, and I'm not going to lie. There's been times when I've been shut out in a game against, like, a 12-year-old that was just shooting from the line the whole time. And I'm like, this kid can't miss. <laughs> um, anyways, moving forward. 
just flipping through, flipping through. Um, this, this is an idea that's kind of been delivered a few times throughout the book. Um, and this is on page 100, so it's just about halfway through the book here. Uh, my grandfather was transformed in Donald's presence. Super creepy. Um, again, like I've said multiple times, it's like that whole thing with the um, with the dad that wanted his kid to be the you know first overall pick in the NFL draft. It's getting dark in this room, and I don't have any lights plugged in here. Fuck. Uh, in 1973, the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division sued Donald and my grandfather for violating the 1968 Fair Housing Act by refusing to rent to DeSchwarzy, as my grandfather put it. I have no idea what that means. It was one of the largest federal housing discrimination suits ever brought, and the notorious attorney Roy Cohn offered to help. Uh, Roy and Donald are butt buddies, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Fred had also primed Donald to be drawn to men such as Cohn, as he would later be drawn to authoritarians such as Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un or anyone else really with a willingness to flatter and the power to enrich him. <laughs> flip, 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 flip. Like I said, guys, there's not much in this chapter. Um, so I might as well just read chapter 8 while I'm here, or go through chapter 8. Um, this is the chapter where her dad, um, uh, dies, right? Or is that chapter nine? I'm not going to lie. I, I read a lot just now. Um, okay. So this is talking about, she's talking about Christmas here. Uh, it all started in 1977 with a three pack of Bloomies underwear Retailed $12, my very first Christmas present from Donald and his new wife, Ivana. Uh, that same year, they had given Fritz, Fritz is Mary's brother, a leather-bound journal. It looked as though it were meant for somebody older, but it was really nice. And I felt a bit slighted. This is fucking hilarious. I felt a bit slighted until we realized that it was two years out of date. At least the underwear would expire. How the fuck do you gift... Well, you don't gift. You you don't find these things. I buy like I buy these minimalist planners on Amazon, and there's actually been a few times where if I've clicked on the wrong supplier, it'll show me a planner. Like if I were to buy one right now, I'm sure that I could go on there and find one that's from like 2017 or 2018. But um, I'm thinking here what the situation was was someone had gifted it to Donald, and he just kind of held on to it or threw it in a drawer. And even though he's got all this money, he was like, I'm just going to re-gift some shit for my uh, nephew here because fuck it. Um, So we get a two-year-old journal. Why not? Uh, Let's see here. I grew up thinking Donald had struck out on his own and single-handedly built the business that had turned my family name into a brand and that my grandfather, provincial and miserly, kind of like Scrooge, right, cared only about making and keeping money. On both accounts, the truth was vastly different. A New York Times article published on October 2nd, 2018 that uncovered the vast amounts of alleged fraud and quasi-legal and illegal activities my father had engaged in excuse me, over the course of several decades included this paragraph. I'm losing light in here. Uh, Fred Trump and his companies also began extending large loans and lines of credit to Donald Trump. This is quoted from the New York Times, by the way. Uh, Those loans dwarfed what the other Trumps got. 
the flow so constant at times that it was as if Donald Trump had his own money store. Consider 1979 when he borrowed $1.5 million in January, 65000 in February, 122000 in March, 150000 in April, 192000 in May, Jesus, 226000 in June, $2.4 million in July, must have bought a boat that month, and 40000 in August, according to records filed with New Jersey casino regulators. I remember the days of getting an allowance. I remember. Um, eight months before the gift of underwear, Donald and Ivana, it's hard to not say Ivanka, uh, were married at Marble Collegiate Church and held their reception at the 21 Club. Mom, Fritz, and I were relegated to the cousin's table, and Dad was not there. This is super, super relevant. Uh, the lie the family told was that Donald had been asked to be Donald's best... Whoa, whoa, sorry. Woo. The lie that Donald had asked Donald, the lie the family told was that dad had been asked to be Donald's best man and his MC at the reception, a role Joey Bishop actually filled. Now, I think that Joey Bishop was the guy that took his, was it his SAT or something? Uh, but the family decided if he needed to stay in Florida in order that he needed to stay in Florida to take care of Uncle Vic, Gam's brother-in-law. The truth was my grandfather simply didn't want him at the wedding and he had been told not to come. So even though you've never done... Hey, Freddie. Even though you've never done anything to hurt the family other than make me upset because you wouldn't put more money in my pocket or try to be a mere reflection of me in my later years when I'm gone, carry on the family tradition of the... uh, the the patriarch of the family being a complete dickhead. Um, don't come to the wedding. You're not invited. I know it's your brother. I know it's your brother. I know you guys grew up together. Um, but we just don't want you there. We think that it would be uh, a mood killer. Not for anyone else because they all like you. They think you're a great guy. Just us because you don't want to be one of us. Um, we've taken your varsity jacket. We've burnt it. Uh, we didn't burn it. Our butlers burnt it. We didn't want to get our hands dirty with anything, but um, it is burnt. So you're, you're no longer on uh, Team Trump. Um, okay. Flip. Uh, despite my terminally poor performance, they're talking about playing Monopoly here. Uh, I never once changed my strategy. I bought every Atlantic City property I landed on and put houses and hotels on my property even when I had no chance of recouping my investment. I doubled and tripled down no matter how badly I was losing. Sounds like her uncle. <laughs> um, it was a great joke between me and my friends that I, the granddaughter and niece of real estate tycoons, was terrible at real estate. It turned out that Donald and I had something in common after all. And I noticed in this chapter and everything that I've read up to this point, that this is really where the uh, this is really where it gets spicy. I'll say. Um, since my father's death, Donald had suggested that they, meaning he and my grandfather, should have let in quotations Freddie do what he loved and excelled at flying, rather than force him to do something he hated and was bad at real estate. But there's no evidence to suggest that my father lacked the skills to run Trump management, 
just as there is none to suggest that Donald had them. I got to hit pause on this for a second. I'll be right back. I'm back. Um, okay, so where was I? She was talking shit about um, Monopoly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay. So she ended up going to kind of like a private school. Um just because she wanted to. She was getting bored where she was. Uh, Her grandfather wasn't with it because he had been on the school board for like 30 years or something. So obviously he was married to it. And, you know, his, uh, his, his word is word or whatever the phrase is. Um, And now they're talking about when she got a phone call when she was at school to, or she was uh, told to call her family um, because her dad had been taken to the hospital. Uh, My grandfather had been a regular at Jamaica Hospital and Booth Memorial Hospital and Medical Center. My dad, too, had been admitted to Jamaica a few times. All of my grandparents' children had been born there, so the family had a long-standing relationship with the staff and administration. My grandparents had donated millions of dollars to Jamaica in particular, And in 1975, the Trump Pavilion for Nursing and Rehab had been named after my had been named for my grandmother. As for Booth Memorial, my grandmother was heavily involved with the Salvation Army volunteers there, and it was also where I'd spent much of my childhood because of my severe asthma. A single phone call would have guaranteed the best treatment for their son at either facility. No call was made. Remember how in early on in this book, I think it was chapter one or two. Where um, their grandfather had made a call uh, because something was wrong. I can't remember what with his wife. Um, I mean, so we knew at that point that it was possible to make the call for anyone else in the family. But it seems the way that this was presented that... Um, it, it was clearly just a, a choice and a matter of preference. Um, okay, so a single phone call would have guaranteed the best treatment for their son at either facility. No call was made. The ambulance took my father to Queens Hospital, to the Queens Hospital Center in Jamaica. No one went with him. They just all hung out at the house. Um, his wife showed up, and... Um, when she got there, even though she had spoken to Donald on the phone, when she got there, it was just the grandparents um, sitting in the library, and Donald and, and Elizabeth went to the movies. Then go to the hospital, just went to the movies. Um, so fast forward, her father passes away. They have the funeral, um, and her father wanted to be cremated and have his ashes spread Um where he enjoyed being, which was Montauk. And um, we know that Montauk is the like, like the epicenter of the division between him and his dad. And then, you know, as a, as a side effect of that, his uh, brother Donald as well. Um, so she says here, before we left the chapel, I caught up with my grandfather to make one final plea. 
a quote, Grandpa said, we can't bury Dad's ashes. Uh, Grandpa says, that's not your decision to make. He started to walk away, but I grabbed his sleeve, knowing it would be my last chance. Wasn't it his? I asked. He wanted to be cremated because he didn't want to be buried. Please let us take his ashes out to Montauk. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, I realized that I made a critical mistake. My grandfather realized it too. Excuse me. He associated Montauk with my father's frivolous hobbies, such as boating and fishing, activities that distracted him from the serious business of Trump, or sorry, of real estate. Uh, Montauk, he repeated, almost smiling. That's not going to happen. Get in the car. Like, they didn't even go to the hospital. Let me just break it down this way, because this is how it looks to me, just from reading this. Um, They didn't really care that he was in the hospital in the first place, because they all just stayed at home and waited for them to call and say that he died. Donald went to the fucking movies. Um... And no one went to no one went to the hospital with him. No one went to see him. And then, so, so in that, it gives me the idea that they didn't really care what happened to him. But now, all of a sudden, there's a uh, concern of how are we going to bury him? How are we in bury being you know metaphorical? Are we gonna cremate him? Are we gonna bury him? What what are we gonna do? And for some reason, they wanted to cremate him. And then bury him, which I've never, ever heard of being a thing. Um, but this part right here, Montauk, he repeated, almost smiling, that's not going to happen, is like, he wouldn't want to be buried. We know that he doesn't want to be buried. And it even said, I think, the page before here, or maybe shortly after, <coughs> that he... Freddie, that he was so adamant about not being buried that it was like one of the first things he told his wife after they got married. And she even says, Mary says here, that it was something that she was well aware of before she was even like the age of 10, that he did not want to be buried. And so I'm assuming that the rest of his family also was well aware of this. And let's be honest here. I think that if somebody who was married dies, that it's not the the parents' decision, it's not really the siblings' decision what happens. Um, it would kind of be the, the, the significant other's decision or maybe their children or whatever family member um, even made an attempt to try and make it look like they cared. Um, so it seems like his dad just did this out of spite, which is fucking horrible. Your son died and you don't even want to give him the, the, the quote unquote send off that he wanted. Um, this chapter is fittingly called escape velocity. Uh, Fred and Donald didn't act as if anything was different. Their son and brother was dead, but they discussed New York politics and deals and ugly women just as they always had. And that's the end of uh, that chapter before I get into part three here, which I'm not going to do in this recording. Um, Wow. Ouch. 
I did flip ahead a little bit, and dish, dish, it looks like it gets pretty good. <laughs> um, I might sit down with it tonight and finish out the rest of the book. I think I only got about 50 pages until I'm done with the whole book here. 50 or 60 pages. Um, but, oh, boy, am I, and I'm sure everyone that has listened up to this point, be glad that we never had the misfortune to get into this family tree. <laughs> Um, yeah. Wow. All right. Um, so that was chapter seven and eight. Um, wait, was it also nine? Can you tell that I'm just all over the place here? No, it was chapter seven and eight. Um, and the next chapter, not to give anything away, but, uh, Mary finds herself being the, the ghost writer of Donald's second book. Um, and it's kind of interesting, some of the stuff that she talks about in the next chapter. Um, but we're getting to the end, so I hope that, that, well, I would assume that everyone who's listened up to this point is interested in how this book is going. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, side note, um, support the protesters. They're all doing the right thing. Everything makes sense to me. Um, and just keep a keep a good head on your shoulders. Think about stuff. Um, do the right thing. And I will be reading the next chapter uh, and uploading that guy to you very soon. I don't know why I say that. Because obviously it's going to go up and you'll see it. And by the time that one's up, you'll probably already hear this. Whatever. I'll talk to you soon.